You are listening to the Faith Church Podcast. Learn more about our church at faithinchandler.com. I'm at a stage in my life where I find myself listening to Disney music a lot. Well, at least more than I used to. Uh, because I have a daughter who's eight and a son who's four, and so when we're in the car, that's what they want to listen to. And so we pop in uh, the Disney CD, and I don't, that's not what I would put in the car if it was up to me, all right? I wouldn't, like, yes, let's sing the Little Mermaid soundtrack. That's not what I want to listen to. But something happens when we're, we're driving in the car, and I've got that music in, and it's playing. I find myself, surprisingly, singing along with the music that is playing in the car. I find myself singing along and maybe even enjoying it. This happens too with a couple of the shows that my kids watch. They watch these shows that I'm like, this is so silly and I don't like it, but then I find myself like at the refrigerator like, what's going to happen to Joey at the camp? You know, I'm like, I find myself wrapped up in this thing that I wouldn't have chosen to watch or to sing if it was just me on my own. And today I want to challenge you that Life is going to throw things at you that you wouldn't have chosen. But if you allow yourself to, in those moments, to sing along, in the midst of that, you can find joy even in those things that you would not have chosen. Paul writes to the Philippians, and his introduction to many of them is he is beaten and arrested and thrown in prison. And while he's in prison, he has a prayer and prayer, prayer and praise service singing with Silas, his ministry partner, at midnight in the jail. Gets a church established there. Years later, he finds himself arrested again in another prison, and he writes a letter back to these people. And it's a letter of joy. It's a letter of how, even in the midst of horrible circumstances, finding himself in prison for something that he didn't do, he still has joy. Last week I talked to you about Philippians chapter 3 where he tells us that he doesn't, he doesn't look back at the things that happened to him and the things that he accomplished, but he constantly looks forward at Jesus. He faces the front. And just like you're going you're to need to face the front if you're going to enjoy the ride of life, you need to face the front and keep your eyes focused forward on Jesus. And today I want you to see that if you're going to enjoy this ride of life, that you really ought to just sing along. Even when the tune, even when the song on the radio is not one that you would have chosen. Paul sings along in whatever is happening. And we think of singing along with music as singing along with the tunes that are on the radio, singing along with the group as we've just done in church. But Paul shows us how to sing along even when he's singing along with songs that aren't that great. Singing along in the circumstances of life as he makes his way through good times and bad. And what happens is, as Paul's showing us how this happens in his own life, he gives us a virtuous cycle of how we can experience joy to a greater and greater degree as we go through life. You know how when you sing a song the first time you mess up all the lyrics and you're just kind of stumbling through it, right? And the next time you sing it, you might still be singing the wrong lyrics, but you're confident that you know them anyway, and you're singing more and louder and louder. And you get, every time you sing it, you can sing it a little bit louder. And What Paul shows us here is this, this virtuous cycle that happens in his life where he can consistently and constantly find greater and greater joy. Now, this is in exact contrast to what most of us experience. What most of us experience when we face difficult times is we are upset about it, we're distraught about it, and so we go to our friends and we complain to our friends about it. And they listen to us, and the bargain they make with us is they'll listen to us complain about our circumstances if they can then complain about their circumstances to us. 
And so we find people that we can complain to who then complain to us, and we walk away still upset about our stuff, but also upset about their stuff. And then we go home and we watch the news, and we get upset about everybody else's stuff. And all around us in the world, there are reasons to be upset. And we are stuck in this vicious cycle of having more and more reasons to not have joy. What Paul shows us here is he has this virtuous cycle that constantly gives him more and more reasons to have joy. And by the way, let me just insert an aside here, okay? If one of your go-to mechanisms for dealing difficulty in life is finding sympathy, going to someone who's going to say, oh, that is awful, I am so sorry, you have the worst luck, if, if one of your go-to mechanisms is if something bad and you complain about it online so people that can then comment and say, that's awful, I'm so sorry that happened, I want you to know that that feels good for a moment, but it doesn't bring any lasting relief. Being addicted to sympathy is a lot like drinking salt water. It feels good if you're thirsty to drink some salt water for a moment because it quenches that thirst that you have in your mouth, but the salt makes you more and more thirsty. And what this world is constantly offering us are, are ways that we can quench our thirst that will only just make us more and more thirsty, more and more distraught. It's a vicious cycle. I want you to see that instead of a vicious cycle, it's going to constantly bring greater and greater distress, greater and greater discontentment. Paul shows us a virtuous cycle that brings greater and greater joy. It's constantly spiraling upward instead of constantly spiraling downward. And, and just be honest in your own heart. When you face adversity, do you go into a tailspin? Do you spiral downward? Or do you find reasons to, to pull out of that and pull up? That's what I want you to see here in Philippians 4. So join me, if you would, in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 1. We're going to see in this chapter... Uh, how Paul experiences this greater and greater joy. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crowned, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech, Eudeus and I beseech Synecdoche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Now, Philippians is a letter that's written uh, out of joy. It's a thank you card. Paul is writing because things are going great in Philippi, in the church there. Most of the letters are written to straighten problems out. But that's not the main reason for Philippi. However, the church in Philippi wasn't perfect. There were some issues. And so here, almost as an aside, Paul says, guys, get along. Guys, let, let me encourage you to be of the same mind. Be on the same mission. Have the same heartbeat. Work together. All right? So not everything's perfect in Philippi, okay? Now, everything's not perfect in Philippi, and where's Paul at again? He's in prison, okay? I want us to be very clear on the fact things aren't perfect in Philippi, things aren't perfect in Paul's life. I want you to have that very clear in your minds before you read verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. The guy writing from prison says, always be rejoicing, always be thankful, always be giving the Lord thanks. How can he say that in his circumstances? How can he say that with what he's facing? 
what he gives us in the rest of this chapter is a breakdown of how he experiences this constant cycle of virtue bringing joy in his life. And Philippians 4 is so powerful and it's so meaningful to me. Three or four years ago, I went through a really difficult time where I, I, was, I was very frustrated, very discontent, very upset about some things that happened that were wrong. I wanted them to be made right. I wanted God to step in and straighten some people out. How many of you have ever wanted God to step in and straighten some people out, right? And so for, for over a month, every day, I copied Philippians chapter 4 into a notebook because I needed to learn what it was that Paul was talking about here. Because what Paul actually says at the, towards the end of this passage is, I have learned the secret to be content in whatever situation I'm in. That's, that's literally what he's saying in verse 11. I figured out how to be happy or joyful or content no matter what's going on. So let, let's keep reading this so that you can see what it is that Paul is talking about. Verse 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep or guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the hand and the, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things, I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and suffer need. I can do all these things through Christ, which strengthens me. Paul says rejoice always, all the time. Be rejoicing in every season. Be rejoicing. My birthday was uh, a couple weeks ago. Last week? Yeah, last week. Um, feels like a month ago, but my birthday was a week ago. So I, I received some, some gifts. I received some, some checks and some money, and so I, I took that money and I went and I bought what are called tile trackers. And tile trackers are these little things that you can put on your keychain or like this one in your wallet, and then from your phone you can make this chirp. And the reason I did that is because I'm constantly losing my keys and my wallet. <laughs> now, I also lose my phone, and so it's good that if I have this, I can hit a button on this, it'll make my phone beep. So even though I lose all of these things, I never lose them all at the same time, hopefully. <laughs> and so this helps me keep track of these things that are important to me. Now, I say that they're important to me, but you say, if, if they're important to you, why do you always lose track of them? And the reason is because I have the type of mind that when I'm focused on something, that thing becomes what I see and everything else just kind of fades into the peripheral. 
Now, for that reason, I, I could be on the phone with someone talking them through a problem, talking about what it is that they're experiencing, something, some issue that they're having with their family, and I can drive 10 miles in the wrong direction because I don't even think about where it is that I'm going. I'm just thinking about this phone call that I'm on. I can be talking to someone or I, I know that I come into the office and there's this thing I really need to get done and wherever my stuff lands is where it lands and I don't know where it went. And, I'm, and I don't think about my keys until I get into the car, literally get into the car and go to put like, oh, I don't have my keys. That's when I think about it. Um, the, the way that my mind operates when I was... This was years ago. I took uh, some teenagers to an Otters baseball game. And while we were there, somebody called me because their marriage was in, is in trouble. All right? When I look back at that game, I don't remember who I took to that game. I don't remember if I brought them home. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. <laughs> but whenever I go to the Otters game, I, when I walk through the parking lot, I, can, I remember the exact spot in the tree that I was standing at when I had that long phone call with that person. Because in that moment, that was the thing that my mind was focused on. That's what I committed to memory. And so these trackers help me keep track of things that are important but fade off in my mind. They fade off to the side. And what I think we have here in Philippians chapter 4 is Paul's mechanism, his hack, his way of tracking what is important, even when things aren't going good. Because there are things that you know to be true about God and you know to be true about your life, but when you are suffering or when you are struggling or when you are facing adversity, those things kind of just slip off into the edges and the peripheral and you forget about them. And it's when we've forgotten about those things that we know to be true about the Lord that we are not thankful. And so we need these things, we need these, these exercises, we need these practices to constantly bring, be bringing back before our eyes what is truly important, what, is matter, what matters, what is true, what is good. And when they are in front of us, we can't help but be thankful because God has done so much for us. And I, and I want you to see this, okay? Paul does not say here, rejoice in all things, rejoice for all things. He says rejoice in all things. God doesn't call us to give thanks for everything, but in everything. And there is a key difference, okay? Paul would write to the Thessalonians, he would say, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And he writes that in verse 18, because in verses 9 to 11 he said this, for God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we awake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as you do. How can we celebrate in all times? How can we rejoice all of the time? Pastor Daniel, what about at a funeral? How can we rejoice at a funeral? Can I tell you that some of the most celebratory, giving God thanks moments in my life have been at funeral? Because in that dark moment, the truth of God has not appointed us to wrath, but through the death of his son has appointed us so that whether we live or die, we will live with him. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Encourage one another with these words. You see, when we remember that truth in the midst of all the adversity that surrounds it, when we remember that, we can have joy and give thanks in that and that. And there are going to be times in your life where things happen that you, you shouldn't give thanks for. But in the moment, you can still be thankful in spite of what is happening. 
God does not call you to be thankful for the bad things that happen in your life. God calls you to remain thankful in the midst of the bad times, in the face of the bad things, because of the good and great thing that God has done for us. And the good and great thing that God has done for us is so good, it is so great, that there is no bad thing that can take that from us. There is nothing that can rob that from us. You know, when I look back at that time in my life when Philippians chapter 4 came to mean so much to me, the memory of what happened, the memory of why I was so frustrated and upset is so fuzzy to me now. I can hardly remember what it was that I was upset about. You know what is very striking and vivid and sweet to me? is how powerful Philippians chapter 4 was in that time. Because I made it my focus and the rest of it faded off. And in the midst of your adversity, if you will focus on the Lord, you'll be able to look back and the rest of it will begin to feel fuzzy and the goodness that the Lord brought in that heartache will be so clear and so vivid. Now what Paul gives us in these verses, I think are four steps that we can take towards rejoicing all the time. How do we practically do this? He tells us right here, okay? First of all, he tells us, give your worry to God. Give your worry to God. Literally, he says, be careful for nothing in verse 6. And that word means anxious or fearful or cautious, terrified. Be anxious for nothing, but bring your requests to the Lord. He's saying, don't get caught up in fear and worry. Don't get caught up in anxiety, but rather bring those anxieties to the Lord. And when I originally wrote this out, I wrote it out as bring your worry to God, but I changed it to give your worry to God because many of us are good at bringing our worry to God, but we never give it to him, right? You bring it to the Lord on Sunday. You say, God, I need your help with this. And he says, okay. And you say, okay, I'm going to take it home with me now and I'm going to keep fretting on it, and I'm going to keep worrying about it. And you bring it back the next Sunday. You say, God, I got this problem. You haven't fixed it yet. And he says, okay, give it to me. Now I'm going to take it home with me now. And you bring it with you every Sunday, but you never give it to the Lord. And when I say give it to you, I mean, I'm saying you bring it to him in, in, in trust. You're bringing it to him in prayer. You're laying it before him, and you're trusting that he's going to handle it. You're trusting that he is going to work in the midst of it. You're trusting that he knows about it, and he cares about it. Bring Give your worries to the Lord. I use the phrase, no worries, a lot. Hey, Pastor Dan, we don't know, hey, no worries. And, and that comes from living in Virginia Beach. No worries is a phrase that Virginia Beach surfers throw around all the time. Hey, man, low tide starts at 930. No worries. No worries. And the, the, the connotation, the idea of that phrase is like, don't worry about it. Don't worry about anything. And that's what this world constantly tells us. Don't worry about anything, because what do you got really to be worried about? But if you live life, you come to find out there's plenty to worry about. Have kids, and you'll know that there's plenty to worry about. Have responsibilities. Have a job where people depend on you. There's plenty to worry about. What God is not, he's not telling us, like, don't worry, throw it off, live carefree. No, he's saying, bring those things to me. Place them in my hands. He's not calling us to ignore anxiety, to ignore worries, to pretend that they don't exist. He's calling us to bring them to him. And we don't say no worries because we just pretend they're not there. We say no worries because we've given them 
to God. Stop trying to carry the world around on your shoulders. Stop trying to carry the world around on your shoulders. You can't carry it. He can. Give it to him. So Paul says, bring your request to God in prayer. And if you do that, that's what he says in verse 6. Verse 7 says, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Literally, it will guard your mind. If you will regularly give your anxieties and your cares and your worries to the Lord, God is going to guard your heart and mind. That's a powerful promise that he lays out here for us. Bring your worries to God and allow him to guard your heart and your mind. You can't guard your heart and your mind. The Lord can. Bring your worries to him. Allow him to guard your heart and your mind. And after you've done that, verse 8 says, think on truth. Think on truth. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, think on these things. Think on the truth of God's word. Think on the truth of what God has done for us. Think on the truth that God has revealed to us. Here's the problem. Many of us know the truth, but we never think on the truth. You know what Satan wants to do? For those of us that we know the truth, we've come to know the truth, Satan just wants to distract us from the truth. Evil just wants to distract us from the truth, the truth that we know from God's word. We need to be thinking on it regularly. But here's what most of us spend our time thinking on. The things that we're concerned about, the worries that we have, the anxieties that we have, the concerns that we have, the insecurities that we have. And we spend our lives living in this vicious cycle of negativity and difficulty and anger because Satan has given us these little distractions that we constantly mull over in our minds. If we're honest, the amount of real estate that is taken up in our heads by Scripture is very small in comparison to the amount of real estate that's taken up in our heads by what we're concerned about and anxious over. How much real estate in your mind is given to the truth? And how much is it given to, to your fear or your shame or your heartache? The moments that you've had this week where you were quiet and nobody was talking to you and there was nothing to distract you, the moments you had where it was just you and your mind, what did you think about? What characterized your thought life this week? If it's things that, that make you anxious and concerned, you're not going to live with joy. But if you think on things that are true and just and lovely and of a good report, like Paul tells us, we're going to constantly be bringing ourselves to this place of joy. Some of you might remember a couple months ago I told you the story about Boudreaux and the, the banker and he's the, you know, the unlearned guy from Louisiana. I heard another Boudreaux story I want to share with you. Boudreaux used to go to the corner market every day and get gas and get a drink. And the man who owned the corner market had this parrot Every time that Boudreaux would walk in to the store, the parrot would look at him and go, ugly, ugly. After a while of this, Boudreaux got, he was over it. And he said to the owner of the market, he says, man, why is your parrot always telling me I'm ugly? And the shop owner said, I'm sorry. He looked at the parrot, he said, don't ever tell him how ugly he is. Next morning, Boudreaux comes in, 
And the parrot's sitting there. The parrot looks at him. And Boudreaux says, what? The parrot said, you know. <laughs> and for many of us, for many of us, Satan only has to look at us and say, you know. You know what you're worried about. You know what you did. You know where you messed up. You know what's missing. You know. And we keep thinking about those things that we don't have. We keep thinking about those areas of lack. We keep thinking about those things that are missing. We keep thinking about those areas of fear and of shame. And it keeps us distracted with our finances and our insecurity and our frustrations. He keeps us distracted with worry. And we know the truth, but we never think on it. And Satan only has to say to you, you know. You know. Can I tell you, worship, like what we're doing right now, what we're doing right now is so important. What we're doing right now is so important because Satan wants to distract us from this. He wants to keep us from thinking about this. He wants to keep us from thinking about singing about the God who is faithful and, and the God who is forgiving and gracious. He wants us to forget about that. He wants to keep us so distracted that we go through the week and we don't, we don't think about it at all. And you need to be here on a regular basis because you need to be reminded on a regular basis of that truth. And worship will save your life. It will save your life because it regularly reminds you of what is true about the Lord and what he's done in your life. Because if Satan can distract you from that, he will lead you down this path of destruction where you choose things that, that aren't good for you where you start drinking the salt water that only makes you more and more thirsty. And he, he wants things to keep you from this. Now, Paul says here, rejoice in the Lord always. And, and rejoicing is, is our response to God's goodness. And we rejoice in many ways. One of the ways that we rejoice and worship is through singing together and, and rejoicing in song and singing about what God has done. And that's been something that God's people have done through the eons. And there's a whole book in the Bible dedicated to songs. It's a song book because it's something God's people did. But that's not the only way we worship. You're worshiping right now. If you are, if you are leaning in and listening to what I have to say and you're wanting to learn from God's word, that is worship. And if, if you sat in the, the, the nursery this morning and you changed diapers, that is worship. And if you welcome people as they came in, that is worship. Whenever we serve God, that's worship. And all of it reminds us that God is good and I am not. God is faithful even when I am not. God is gracious when I mess up. And we need those reminders all of the time. And coming here on a regular basis helps us to think on the things that are true and honest and holy and just. Satan would love nothing more for you to be here but completely distracted or to be somewhere else because something came up last minute. Think on truth. How do you rejoice all the time? Regularly think on truth. Three, follow godly examples. Verse 9, he says, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. You know what he just said? He says, the things you heard me teach, remember those, but the things you saw me do. The way that I live my life, follow that example. Some of you follow some really awful examples. You run your, fam you run your family just like your parents did, and you're constantly fighting just like your parents did. You run your finances like your parents did, and you're constantly broke just like your parents are. Some of you live out your marriage based on the way that your friends live out their marriage and you're just as unhappy as they are. 
Paul says, follow good examples. The things that you saw in me, those things do. Surround yourself with good examples. Take notice of them. Follow their example. Proverbs tells us, iron sharpens iron. So does a man sharpen the countenance of his friend. In other words, when we get together with other people, we shape them and mold them and sharpen them. Now, that means that there has to be contact. Iron can't sharpen iron just from being in the same drawer. There has to be contact. You've got to get to know one another. You've got to have you got to do life together. And when that happens, there's sparks and it's noisy. But iron sharpens iron. Get around some good examples. Can I tell you something, just one thing that I've noticed about every mature believer that seems to have joy in their life? They worship God often. And I don't mean they just come to church. I mean they worship God all the time. When they're walking out to their deer stand, they're noticing how good God is. When they're mowing their grass, They're singing about God's goodness. Bob Scale is one of our deacons here at the church. Some of you that have gone to visit Bob in June have had the pleasure of of hearing Bob sing this song that Bob wrote. It's a song that Bob wrote while riding his lawnmower around his yard, working around his yard. Every mature believer that I know that has joy worships often and regularly. Follow good examples. And then fourth, focus on Jesus. Focus on Christ. He says in verse 11, I've learned in what sort of state I'm in, therewith to be content. I know how to be humbled and be humiliated, and I also know how to be plentiful and overflowing. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to have abundance and to suffer need. I can do all these things through Christ, which strengthens me. What, What Paul is saying here is that in his best and in his worst, He is able to have joy because he keeps his eyes on Jesus. He keeps his eyes on Jesus. And and, and hear this, okay? Hear this and then I'm done. This is not inspiration. This is not Paul looks at Jesus and he's just really inspired by Jesus. No, he looks at Jesus and he receives joy. He receives this divine power, this divine enablement to have joy in the worst of circumstances because of Jesus. This is receiving spiritual strength from heaven through Jesus. You see, Jesus made it possible for you and me to connect with heaven. You and I can't connect to heaven. We we cannot access God because you and I are not worthy of heaven. We're not worthy of God. But Jesus came and he took the, the sin and the shame that we deserve on the cross. And when he did that, he took our sin and gave us his righteousness so that we have connection with the Father in heaven. That's the reason that when we pray around here, we often say, in Jesus' name, amen. Because in Daniel's name doesn't get above the ceiling. In Jesus' name gets to heaven. It's on, it's on his account. And so he came and he broke through the barrier that separated us from heaven. And so when Paul's looking at Jesus, he's looking through Jesus to heaven. He's looking through Jesus to the Father. He's able to access the divine power and joy and hope and grace that is, that is in abundance in heaven because Jesus came down and gave us a channel so that we could reach heaven, so that heaven could reach us through our sin. So look back at verse 7. Having understood that, look back at verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, peace that doesn't make any sense, Peace that we can have when we shouldn't have peace. Hope that we can have when everything is dark. Peace that passes understanding. 
will guard our hearts and minds. How? Through Christ Jesus. It's only through Jesus. It's only through Jesus. You can't look at Jesus and say, boy, Jesus was a great figure. He was a great character. He did a lot of good things. I'm inspired to be better. No, look at Jesus and see that he made it possible for you to connect to the divine joy and hope and power of heaven through his sacrifice on the cross. A power that that doesn't give you the feel-goods for an afternoon, but connects you to heaven and gives you a peace that, that doesn't feel good for Thanksgiving. No, a peace that passes understanding. It doesn't make sense. It's beyond comprehension. There's no natural explanation for it. It must be supernatural peace. That's only available through Jesus. Through Him. Only, only through Jesus. This peace that keeps our hearts and minds. If you would bow your heads with me.